covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Bernier. Welcoming in fans of the 50-yard fight, this is the Inside the Walls podcast. Zach Heilman in, as always, to kick things off on the latest edition of the Inside the Walls podcast. Today we're bringing you, of course, episode 118 NAL rebound week 14 edition covering the last two most exciting NAL games of this past weeks of action uh, with some very fascinating results and some storylines that we'll be talking about for both of these contests as well. Also going to give you some news on one of the major players in terms of the NAL scene that was looking for a new home post Fayetteville. He is now has a landing spot and we'll discuss the home field advantage playoff scenarios that we have uh, kind of broken down and have put together towards the end. But before we get to any of this, of course, I have to bring on my good buddy, co-host fan, the Adam Schefter of the NAL, as I'm going to keep on referring to more and more. Uh, it is Jim Renier. Come on down. Yay. The price is right. Yeah, the price is wrong. But yeah. It's, it... was the, sc- the score was right, though, for you. Yeah, score I mean, was right. On the away trip. Trip was great. All right. The fan support in Orlando was impressive that was a good weekend uh um, yeah, yeah let's let's say let me just say ten thousand fans is that that's the reported attendance is ten is ten thousand one hundred ish uh was listed on via the na the uh orlando predators social media pages so uh massive win for any indoor arena team uh 10k hitting during the regular season is huge mm-hmm. um it's one of the largest tennises in nal history by the way, uh, that's a great, we keep talking about the fan support and kind of growing that, I guess, dual, that little rivalry or Florida connection and it keeps showing out. It showed out once more. That's another massive crowd between these two competitors at Amway. And it keeps on being like this big event during the season is the Preds and Sharks either showing up in Jacksonville or showing up in Orlando. It's a rivalry that has been going on since 2010 when the two brothers at one point owned both franchises and it was a great event 10,000 fans a bunch of shark fans went down we had our own two sections and apparently if you watch the game and listen to the game every time you hear the announcer for Orlando say give it up for your defense I made our guys set chant Duval and I've had, <laughs> I had a random Orlando person stop me and go you know your city or your county's name is very annoying. I'm like, well, that's what we we do up in Orlando, up in uh, Duval. Um, but it was a good trip. Everyone had a great time, from what I can expect. Um, but big win for the Sharks and a one-sided dominant win for the Sharks. And what the atmosphere there was great. A little, you know, a little feisty early in the game. It's and tad. A little bit. That's what you expect when two teams that don't like each other and their history, even though the historic historical records don't look like a rivalry based on how many times Jacksonville has beaten Orlando. But it was a great atmosphere, great crowd, and that's something that we expect in Orlando. Beautiful arena, Amway. The Orlando organization puts on a great show. Uh, it was a easy in, easy out type of ordeal. Fans, all, they allow a lot of fans on the field in after, after the game, which you don't see in Jacksonville. They don't, they like limit the people sometimes. Interesting. But in Orlando, they just allow everyone in. 
And it was also pretty cool at the end of the game. The Sharks uh, took a picture with all the Shark fans who made the trip. Two I full bus loads. So, yeah, it was about 200 fans traveled via bus. But I think there was a lot more that traveled not by bus to down there. So I could say roughly around maybe 1,900 Shark fans made the trip to Orlando for this game. And that's what's cool about these little hops. This is what I wish we see up in uh, in West Texas and uh, in San Antonio, uh, even though that's a big travel distance between those two cities because Texas is a big state, <laughs> really big state. Uh, but it was a great event. It was exciting. Uh, hats off to the Shark organization getting this organized and giving the fans a lunch down there. Uh, giving them uh, free transportation. And it's pretty nice when you get on the bus and the, and you can sleep, except for driving that distance. Um, of course, I had to do a lot of stuff on the podcast, you know, update a lot of stuff online. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a fun trip, exciting trip. And now Orlando comes up to Duval uh, this Saturday night uh, for the third and final matchup of the regular season. Most likely not the final matchup between these two teams this year. So, it was a great trip. Great, it was exciting. Met some great people from both sides, and yeah, I should do it more often. But it was a good, a good. I met Bane. Bane's in good spirits. There you go. Um, Bane does no longer have the neck brace. He's standing up. He's walking good around. Progress. Nice. So it, it feels good. He looks good. He joked with me about his return, and I was like. Just, you know, let's, you know, wait till next year type of thing. But his spirits are good, and it it was a good energy, good vibe. And, of course, the the game was good. And, honestly, by just watching over that game, quick observation before we bring it down later, Castro Nova is the front-runner MVP right now. I don't know who else can beat the man. The guy, again, near 70%, 80% completion rating, and him, Tamor, and Terry, Cam Solomon – and Devin Wilson were just torching Orlando secondary all night. Um, it was a great performance by Sam. And, of course, uh, you look on the other side, Darius Prince was doing Darius Prince type of things all night. Fortunately, it didn't go his way this time around. But it was a great game, great atmosphere. I want to have tips, tip the hat. I wish I had a hat on. It would be a lot better. Tip the hat to John Chaney, Nate Starling, and the, and the Preds organization for uh, presenting that game. Great activities, and the crowd was into it as much as they can uh, for a team um, that so lopsided in score. But it was a great mm-hmm. environment. It's a great arena, football arena, beautiful arena in Amway. Let's save a little more of the breakdown and analysis here for just a little later in the show because I do have so much more to talk about this game. I'm glad though you're given the atmosphere, uh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because I mean, uh, it's the thing is like we talk every time we discuss arena football. It's so much different when you go in person than it is when you go when you watch on the YouTube streams. I mean, and these broadcasters do a great job trying to give that intensity and show off that intensity. But mm-hmm. it's a different game when you go in person. Uh, I actually saw during during this contest with Preds and Sharks, it was uh, a, a boy a boyfriend girlfriend couple. I think it was uh, the boyfriend was posting saying my first ever arena game I took that or my first arena game I took my girlfriend to she's mm-hmm. hooked she wants to come to every single one now and that happens every time I have never found a person that I have said or have brought to an arena football game in my in the past that I've gotten the few times I've gone with folks to that has said yeah no I I, I dislike this it's it's almost I would say I have a hundred percent success rate so far mm-hmm. in converting people to say this is freaking cool and I'm like yeah it is pretty damn cool. 
<laughs> you should check it out more if you're in the area. So, uh, yeah, I love that. And then there's probably some new fans down there in Orlando last night that maybe got a bit of an experience with that. And I, uh, always am glad to see it. Like it's, it's growing year over year. Like Orlando is the perfect, like little, here's what happens when you get a community led organization mm -hmm. that sticks to it and keeps on chipping away at its community and being ingrained in its community over the longer haul. And it's, it's reaping rewards last two last few seasons. It's starting to reap those rewards post pandemic post, mm -hmm. you know, change in ownership because that 2019, no one's not going to lie to you. That was rough, but changes were made and have been right ever since last three years, they have ever since been good ownership, good leadership, good community engagement and getting people back mm -hmm. in the arena to check out their predators again. So I can't say that enough. And of course, it's one of the original founding members of the game itself. It has a rich tradition in Orlando. And it's nice to see that fan base come back. And the jungle is not the jungle with 3,000 fans. It's the jungle when it's 10,000 plus. Just like the Shark Tank is not the, the Shark Tank until it's about 7,000 plus. Um, but yeah, these are two organizations that have history in the game. And when these two organizations are good, and they're playing each other, you're going to have some good football between these two because when these two teams are going all cylinders, you have some fireworks happening, um, and especially in, well, this rivalry right now, but in the game itself. Yeah. Speaking of some fireworks, let's talk about uh, some news pieces as we always do with our rebound episode. So not much this week, honestly. Uh, kind of, I mean, it's been pretty light. Um, obviously, last week we talked about, you know, rumblings of rumors expansion wise nothing new on that front can't really give you much there um we can talk about free agency signings because this is, if there's one thing you know about in indoor arena football transactions kind of go late in the year this is the time of the year you see kind of the last ditch efforts to stock up on weapons especially if you're a playoff team trying to make that final push you're trying to solidify your seating this is the time of year to do that it's, it happens every year in the nal everybody talks about it every single year um, for one circumstance, one way or another, and this is no exception. Yes, this is a little bit different given that it was from a previous team, but still a massive splash. Uh, Kendrick Ings, people were wondering after last week when he showed up on the Cobras broadcast, hey, is he still playing? Where's he going to go? He had a great, great commentary on that broadcast as well. Um, really loved it when they were talking about West Texas, so Maybe there's a commentary career in his future if he wants to over there. But in the meantime, he still wants to play. And sure enough, on the transaction wire, he's heading on down to San Antonio to be one of those key receiving cogs, maybe returning cogs uh, in terms of return men for the gunslingers. I mean, Jim, we can talk all well, we can talk all day about this, but obviously I'll give you my quick things and you definitely lay down more details here. Uh, Kendrick Ings, versatile, not only receiver in terms of a speedster great return man shifty uh mm -hmm. also plays very good as a defensive back underrated db uh we've seen last two seasons someone that i i think uh really if you're looking at the depth of the gunslingers in terms of both sides of the ball he he's he's a he's just a great addition overall to add to both the units in the secondary or in your receiving core um i think in terms of return game if you find a way to get him in not only do you have Kali Rashad, but you can split it up where you can have one side Kali, one side Kendrick, and then you have two deadly return men. You are arguably maybe sacrificing a blocker, but 
if you if Kalia is like anything I've seen, or if Kendrick is anything I've seen, they'll chip in. They are guys that are not afraid to get dirty. So not only are you enhancing your special teams a bit, but I mean, whoever's going to be playing QB this week when we talk game day, they at least get another extremely reliable receiver that knows his assignment and will help out his QB when needed. Awesome addition. I'm just glad to see him playing again too. Like he he just I know the circumstances suck with how Fayetteville went down, but like he was one of those guys. I'm like, where's he going to go? Because he's going to land somewhere. Once we saw Trey Long, Walter Thomas, he was one of those guys that was going to be next, and I'm glad that he's back in it for at least the rest of the year. He's one of the most explosive receivers in the game. Period. If it's his time as Carolina, his time as Fayetteville, his time in the other arena leagues. Uh, he's one of the most dynamic receivers in the game. We've had him on the show multiple times. We were live with him in, in practice before our championship game last year. We had him on a road trip this year to, I think he was going to Maryland or something this year, mm-hmm. uh, talk about Fayetteville. Uh, he's one of the most genuine guys on in the league who is very open. You ask him a question, he'll answer any of your questions. Uh, but San Antonio is just not getting a weapon. They're getting a good culture guy. Uh, he's a individual that's going to expect excellence around him. He, yes, he's one of the marquee players in the game. He's always on either someone's NAL first team ballot, or he's an offensive player of the year type of caliber guy, or a special teams guy throughout the years on the NAL. He's going to be a dynamic piece in San Antonio for their playoff run, uh, especially the last couple of weeks and that playoff first round playoff game or the championship game, he will help an Arvell Nelson. He will help a Robert Kent jr. That's the type of, he made uh, Cato look very impressive in, uh, in up in Fayetteville. Oh, yeah. And he was, and he was also the go-to guy for Bain and Malik Henry in Orlando, or excuse me, not Orlando, um, in um, Carolina. There you so, go. So, uh, I, I got Cato on the brain going to Orlando. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It's 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 easy to get caught up because we're talking. There's two Carol. There were two Carolina teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. I get it. But it's going to be explosive. But I still see Kylie taking more of the returner role still. And but I guarantee you, Ings maybe still an offensive specialist, but he's not afraid to play Iron Man. He's not play, afraid to play DB. In a couple of games, I think he even did. I think it was either this year or last year with Carolina. He had two touchdowns and an interception and a kick return all in the same game. Like, he's that type of player. He's going to make San Antonio's offense a little bit more explosive, more exciting to watch. The question, and it's going to make defenses who you want to cover Kali, Kendrick, Philip Barnett, Reynolds. Who, who are you going to cover on that offense, especially if Arvell or Robert Kent Jr. are on? But San Antonio has a scary offense, and this just boosts that um, potential of being a better offense, uh, especially going down a stretch, and especially with San Antonio's upcoming two games. Kendrick would be a key asset for them to uh, potentially, honestly, try and split, and hopefully something ha- something happens to Jacksonville. But they got Carolina in the next two weeks, and having Kendrick, who's been with Carolina many for many time, years, um, could be some of a strategy as well. Kendrick can tell them what's going on over there, especially with the offense. So could help them, but it's going to be interesting. We're down to four weeks left in the season or yeah, three weeks left in the season. Yeah. It's going to be, a, it's going to be a stretch. It's going to be exciting. And I like when Kendrick Kings is playing football, you know, that team who he's playing for, 
it's going to be explosive, and you know he's going to be in two locations. He's going to be either in the far left end zone or the far right end zone because that's <laughs> where Kendrick is. He's always scoring somewhere. Yeah, he'll, he'll get his shots. I mean, good. it's a great pickup. I'm more so just happy that I get to see him or we – get to see him play a little bit more mm -hmm. um, and his season doesn't just end on, you know, team goes under financially and players disperse, you know, that's a player I definitely wanted to see back on the field at a position where he can get some success mm -hmm. and San Antonio is definitely it. Obviously, again, we got questions. We'll learn about the QB scenario. I think uh, both will have their own talks, but at least whoever's going to be behind center, uh, they're double, triple, sure that they're going to get guys that know their assignments and know how to play the, and know how to play the game in these crucial moments. I mean, gunslingers, that's one thing this year they're playing no matter what they're playing playoff football this season. This isn't a team that's rallying from behind and kind of the underdog types. They're one of the top guys in terms of record, and they're going to be fighting to get a home playoff berth, something that's extremely mm -hmm. important. As you point out, Jim, you point this stat out every time. And I know some people go, well, it's just a, it's a statistic, but Hey, look, when you have that heavily of a favorite favoritism in terms of history saying home teams in the NAL generally win to get to the playoffs, mm -hmm. it's a it's a stat I don't think you can pass up because you want to at least say, hey, at least I've got my and in terms of gunslingers, I imagine if you get a playoff game, you're going to see more even a bigger crowd than usual in there. I get my like five ish thousand, four ish thousand Stand, fans in the stands all with their cowbells or their noisemakers and you know in a loud freeman coliseum that reflects noise well they're on my side you know and i get to hone that in that's a big win it's like how the sharks are holding their own destiny right now too you know you mean to tell me i can possibly get a home game where i get most likely like eight thousand plus for that game and maybe if i hold out I can get 10K plus for a championship home game. Sign me up. This is the time to go and get guys like this to kind of solidify those spots. And again, we see with Ken Kendrick Ings this year. You know, two years ago, we saw Joe Hills go to the Preds when they were on their own own run. Last year, we saw Tommy Grady, but that was credit circumstance of QB. Luckily, that worked out because Grady mm -hmm. didn't get hit. Not all the time these are swings in a home run, but this is the type of moves you see from teams that, you know, they're up at the top and they want to be doubly sure they can stay at the top and then make a i would think a more solidified run than saying hey don't let the other team out uh i think out contract you or outbid and get some guys maybe at a last minute if they can so i know that some folks don't care for it in the nal or in terms of fandoms i say it makes things kind of wacky and wild so i'm all up for it uh, I watch as a, you know me, I watch as a, a sit back and relax behind the keyboard type of person and see how this all plays out. So this makes things fun for me. I just, I'm, I just like to see that signing because at least it's another big time player that I can say, Oh, look, a chess piece has entered the match. <laughs> this made things much more, much more puzzling in the uh, game of Thrones NAL edition. <laughs> <laughs> True. And also uh, hosting the playoff game, NAL teams are 13 and two at home when they host a playoff game. That's an incredible stat. And if you're San Antonio, <laughs> yeah. you want to get the two seed, because that might, if that's, as it stands, they're the currently, they're the currently second spot in the standings, even though they're technically tied with the eight and um, the eight and two record. If you, let's just say, if everything stands like right now, San Antonio's a two, you want to get that stay at that two seed, because that might be a possible chance of avoiding Jacksonville. If you advance and let's say 
an upset happen or Orlando beat Jackson in the first round, then you're hosting. Uh, but you want to guarantee get your home game as a two because that gives you a chance to possibly host the championship game. And these next two games for San Antonio are going to be crucial. Uh, there is a chance. There is a still a slim chance if Carolina wins the next two, they will have the de facto tiebreaker over San Antonio. But the problem with Carolina, they have one more game after that, and that will be home against Jacksonville. And that Jacksonville game could mean a lot for Jacksonville. At the same time, could mean absolutely nothing for Jacksonville. That's how Good. crucial the next three weeks are. Because there, there could be a path where Jacksonville beats Orlando, beats West Texas, wraps up the one seed, and then Carolina, and let's say Carolina wins in the next two, and San Antonio's like, oh, we need Jacksonville to beat Carolina for us to get the two. And then Jacksonville throws out Eddie Brill out there, not Nova, and they don't want to risk Nova getting hurt. Then that's, that? there's, that's a situation that could possibly happen. That's not out of the question. That's what well, the Sharks did it last year. Now, credit, that was to more – they knew at that point, and this, they also had Malik Henry in that Co- Sharks-Cobras matchup late mm-hmm. last season. Both those teams – I mean, Henry was more the, the legit starter. Bain wasn't ready to go. Tommy Grady was out, so they were riding with Malik, who mm-hmm. did a solid job and I think showed that the reason why he won his job over this year over McComb was that he showed hints of that last season in his stints. Uh, under James right. Fuller's offense. So, but the thing was, you know, in that late season match, and that was this was for a Sharks team that knew their fate. They rested Arvell Nelson before they went up against Albany. Think about that. So that's you're absolutely right. That is not out of the question. You know, this might be a lower. This might not be NFL heights of mm-hmm. league, but don't don't expect if coaches feel like that they think it's the best way moving forward for their teams to like get their guys healthy and keep them where they're ready to go that you don't see someone rest the body before these two playoff matches. I don't know if it's the best strategy. There is arguments for both one for being, you know, you got, you're kind of heated up and ready to go. Another one being, well, if my quarterback gets knocked down, like say, say Sam Castronova, which I don't wish, I hope none of these QBs get knocked out for a year because of a game like a last minute one or something that's meaningless, but you know, say it were to happen. I mean, you have to go to Eddie Brill who's shown some, has shown some, but it's not a Sam Castronova. Mm-hmm. So it all depends. It's fascinating because, like I said, these three weeks you talk about key matchups across the board. You know, this week alone, when we talk about Gunslingers Cobras on game day, I mean, wow. Like they haven't played in a while, these two. And these teams have evolved drastically. I would say more so the Cobras than the Gunslingers since that week one matchup. And that was a two-point affair, different starting QBs, beginning of the season, so you're trying to feel out your rosters in-game. Now we're talking, like, in the nitty-gritty, and they play each other back-to-back to end the year. Mm-hmm. That's wild. That's a big swing right there. You know, not to slack anything on the Jacksonville schedule to end the season, but weeks 15 and 16 alone, those are two games I'm like, that that's massive, you know? <laughs> so... I'm keeping my eye on the ball with those, <laughs> but we don't have time to talk about that. We got to get some recaps, man. Let's talk about those uh, Cobras, shall we? Let's talk about how they are seven and four now, and how honestly, if it wasn't for personally, if it wasn't for Sam Castronova lighting up the scoreboard every week, how about Malik Henry once again 
continuing to show out as he has been. Uh, they go over to the Hector Memorial Coliseum, uh, show out, get a sixty, get a sixty-six to thirty-five affair once again. Mike Henry showing out as always. Uh, run game comes out as usual for the Cobras, and one thing that I think they capitalized on at the beginning, and something that I'm hoping the Warbirds and Coach Tate Smith maybe stray away from next year. This was something that I know I I love. Uh, I love I love Didio Weber as a kicker. I, I really do. But there were times first half where I really did sit at that watching that broadcast and went, Coach Smith, you gotta be more aggressive. You can't take you can't kick a field goal on fourth and three from three yards out at your opponent's goal line in a game where you are you're the two and nine squad with pretty much if any last gasp of breath to nothing on the season. You got to go for the touchdowns. That's that's my own personal opinion, because there were there were two times in the first half. You know, Weber misses a field goal d- deep. I I can kind of understand if you wanted to do that. You don't trust your offense. You at least kind of punt it away, and they were still within a score. But again, fourth and three from your own three yard line, you're kicking a field goal. You get the deuce on the other side. Okay, I'll I'll add that too. But there's a touchdown there. You know, take that shot. You got guys that can score TDs, you know, if, I mean, you have, you can't rely just solely on your kicker for points, or you can't always lean on that because here's the deal. You have a team like the Cobras or really any of these other teams in the league currently nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, they're going to go for touchdowns and generally they're going to succeed because that's how arena football is built. Defense is almost always put at a disadvantage in arena. You should take advantage of that. And I don't think settling for field goals is a good message to send the end of the season because you're trying to be that like, hey, you know, we're, we're that upset kid now. We're trying to mess with the schedule. We're trying to get a feel-good moment to end the year and move our program in the right direction. Don't settle for field goals. Even if you got what is arguably the special teams play of the year, don't settle for field goals. I felt that was a little bit lax, just something I wanted to start the conversation with on this contest in particular. Otherwise... Cobra's outclassed them most of the way. Um, this is a team that is hitting, that is, I think, washed away some of its uh, uglier moments from its road road game streak and is now, last two weeks, has been kind of tuning up, hitting its stride. You're seeing confidence boosters. Malik Henry is hitting those pretty, pretty over-the-shoulder passes again. He's looking like he's back in the zone like we saw in that 10-touchdown affair weeks prior. I'm liking where the Cobras are at. They're hitting all the pieces at the right time. Defense is also looking pretty solid, getting pressures, getting pass breakups. It's looking good. I just am all I'm going to end with saying West Texas, just be aggressive, period. There's no reason to, in my eyes, go for the field goals at this point in the season. Just go all out, four and outs, do the arena shtick. Field goals almost never happen in our in our league. They do in, in the indoor leagues, and it's because they play different ball. That's not how we do it. We aggressively go for the game for touchdowns in this league. I personally think you let opportunities slide by. That's almost the thing I got from it because that's how you saw the lead slip away. You saw possessions get lost. West Texas was out of this game before they knew it once they got into halftime. Well, you can also say that the reason why they were out of the game is because it was the Malik Henry and the Lance Evans show. Oh, that was too. I mean, there's no denying that this is clearly the Cobras are clearly 
a better roster and overall unit right now. There's a reason why they play the other two top teams close and possibly can still try and sneak in for a two seed. So without a fact, without a shadow of a doubt, they are absolutely the better team here. No questions asked. I When I was watching this game and the, the things that popped in my mind were just a standout, you know, the usual people that stood out to me, you know, Adam Smith, 53 yards, but Lance Evans had 88. It says he has two receiving touchdowns. I think he has three. If I think I, if I remember the game correctly, but you, you look at Malik Henry's stats and Malik Henry's numbers. I don't think he missed a throw. I think there was no incompletions. I think he was almost perfect. Maybe he missed one or two throws in a game. He played probably one of his best games accurately as a quarterback. He didn't have the same numbers like he did the first time around when they were in West Texas where he threw for 10 touchdowns. Right. But I don't know what's the the is it the temperature? Is it West Texas? It's the building. Uh, but Blake Henry just roast that building. Something about snakes and dry desert. It just seems to gel so well. <laughs> uh, was I don't know what's going on over there. Like this is the second time that West Texas played Carolina in their own building, and Carolina almost made it a personal All Star game. Like you had guys on this team just show out throughout the night, and also we saw. Uh, Guy Myers. Was it Guy Myers that came in? Yeah, yeah. We got a bit of Guy Myers at the end. Who The brother you know, of DJ, who's a fan of the show. He came in. But even though we get Coach Tate, you give Coach Tate a little kind of hatred with the field goals and kicking them, you have to tip your hat to the guy who's kicking them. He's still oh, making them. Uh, he's clear-cut the kicker of the year. He made another deuce in this game. I think he made two deuces again this game. So I think his toll is now like 18 or 19 deuces on the whole season. And he, I don't know what's going on with him, but man, he he's on the money. And he is the highlight of West Texas. Now, one of the questions I have, and I it's going to be hard for us to find out, is what happened to, uh, to where, uh, why Shaw started, and then why mm-hmm. did we go to Grady? I wonder if there's like a, a, a injury probably, or there could be something else that's not, it's beyond football that we don't know that they don't make public. So that's going to be a key issue. But when Shaw started, I knew that, or I knew that they were going to be in trouble because Caroline got the ball right at the beginning, of the beginning of the game scored instantly. And then West Texas kind of stumbled in their first possession. I was like, oh, this is, it's a sign of going to be a long game. And then in the middle of the game, they got kind of close. And even though that we bashed the kicking, Weber did hit a big field goal at the end of the half. Then they got the deuce coming back. So that was a five-point swing. But, again, field goals, touchdowns. In an arena game, it's almost surrendering a possession. You only kick field goals, like in my opinion, when there's like 20 seconds left on the clock and you need to get points before – either a switch into the half or a game winning field goal. My opinion. Yeah. That's why I'm, it's not the fact that the the field goals, I can live with Mm -hmm. that. I am not like anti field goal in entirely in this sport. Like I'm with you. There's situations like if you feel like you want to at least walk away with it, say like you are getting a possession back the next half and you're right there. It's a fourth down. 
and you feel like F it, we're close enough in this game. I can chip in three, walk away. You know, that's fine. Well, my, my thing is like, there were two field goals in the, in the first half that come to mind with West Texas. And I, it's weird. I'm talking like, this is so extremely negative with the kicker you have. I'm just talking about game plan and like how you play the NAL game to your betterment and how you see every other coach doing it. And there's a reason why, even with like a guy like a TC Stevens or a company or Dylan Barnos in Orlando, you play for TDs in the NAL and in arena football, not like the indoor football leagues, you know, which West Texas has played indoor. That is their origin. They came out of an indoor league. They came into arena. And so you have two of them. One of them is a very deep shot in West Texas territory. It was a missed field goal, which I was actually surprised by given that Weber is that accurate from deep all year long. Um, and it was a return. And I was like, okay, that's fine. That was the beginning of the game. There was a first possession. They kicked one. It was basically brought back by the Cobras. I was like, all right, if defense gets a stop, no big deal, but credit, this is arena football. Odds are you probably aren't going to get the stop. Mm -hmm. So that, that one was like, whatever, not a big deal. If you don't trust your offense or not, it's fine. The one that gets me, and this is why I'm bringing it up is because if you are fourth and three, from your opponent's three yard line, you are in the red zone and you are a two and nine roster that is trying to get an upset win. You don't kick the field goal there. I know there's points there and I know you're thinking, well, if I get the field goal and I can get the deuce, like that's fine. But like, I just feel like a better method of aggressiveness there makes more sense. Even if you don't convert it, like the principle of, I have a touchdown right there. That That's how I look at it. Because the thing is, if you know how this game's played, which the staff I think knows by now how it's going to go, given they played almost a whole season, odds are the Cobras are going to get that ball back and they're going to shove it down your throat next drive. And so you'll be, again, negatively affected by points. No matter what, you're going to be down points after a possession. So that, that's my thing. I, I think it's just, you know, you have that. It's a trust factor too. you know, trust your guys to get that score. You're right there. Mm-hmm. That was more of a deal. I, I I get they have a weapon. I'm just talking if you're like right on the freaking goal line, man, punch that sucker in. You know, go for it. Why like three yards? You know, take that shot, run it in, make a creative play. You know? Like I was watching this game and halfway through the third quarter, I was just saying, You 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 have to make a switch here. Mm-hmm. Like uh Shaw's not doing it. Get Gandy in there at least. When Gandy came out, went in there, we had previous experience when he did it in San Antonio, so you know he can use his mobility to try to open up the game plan. And Gandy still did come at in, in, later in the fourth quarter. I just wish that happened a little bit sooner than when the game was actually closer. It could have been you know a factor to flip the game. And when Gandy came in, he I think he had two rushing touchdowns, and that's what he does. It's just more he's more of a rushing type of quarterback. There was a lot of question things I look at West Texas like you got to give credit to Carolina, uh, they slowed down the weapons for West Texas. I don't think we have ever heard Trayvon Schwartz name once that game. Uh, and then when you look at yeah. the standings of the receivers, uh, Jalen Wilson had a receiving touchdown and he had four receptions for forty four yards. That's about it. That's not that's not winning football. You're not going to win games with one receiver touching 44 yards. In a, in arena football, you need passing threats. And, I, and I, again, we don't know what happened with a wear, but you're not going to win 
games without an explosive offense and going for it on those fourth and ones and fourth and twos. Yes, you might lose a possession or two, but if you kick a field goal, yeah, you got the points, but that doesn't guarantee the other team's not going to, you know, turn the ball over. But the, Caroline did not. They just kept scoring and scoring and scoring. And Caroline's the type of offense that you don't kick a field goal against. That, honestly, over the last couple of weeks, you can say that you kicked the field goal against San Antonio, but you go for against Carolina and Jacksonville because those two offenses in recent games over the last three or four weeks have shown signs of more explosive offenses. And I think that's not too bad either. You know, pick and choose the opponent. You're going to do this. Now, now to be fair, obviously you can't control that we had two teams get knocked down and out this year because, yes, if we were talking the Empire back, you know, and – they showed this, of course, their last time the two yeah. met. That, yeah, like that Albany Empire, yeah, sure. I would feel fine with field goals because I think that opponent you better match up with to where you can kind of control that game plan. Mm-hmm. With a Carolina, with a Jacksonville right now, I just say no. Like, you just can't do that as often. Yeah. You know, and I, so that's where I'm with you. Like, it's like, yeah, fourth and two, fourth and three, yeah. especially if it's, again, goal line scenario, fourth and three. I am calling a pass or run play of some kind, but most likely a pass, mm-hmm. even though I know it's not the QB I wanted in with where, and I don't, and his whereabouts might be if his unavailability or a little different, but I would still call the pass or at least call an elaborate run play that opens up a hole or a seam mm-hmm. for whoever it is, whether it's shorts and company to run. Actually, there was one play that Jacksonville ran. And I, I, I thought was brilliant. And I would love to see them run more or teams run more. So they have a jet sweep with Nyquan Murray where he's coming out of motion. And he's starting to run into the, run through the backfield and they, they snap the ball and instead of going to Murray. It looks like they're going to pitch to Murray, but instead it's a quick handoff to Zach Brown. And then you see McK- McK- Malik Henry fake the pitch. Mm-hmm. So you can basically off that play you can run like a fake inside handoff pitch out, or you can fake the pitch out and give a quick handoff to where you're throwing off defenders. There's actually a few opportunities there. I didn't think about until I saw that play happen. It was one of their goal line possessions. And I went, wow, man, we need to see this more often. That's some great, that's some great kind of like variety there. I know Damon, I know Damon Ware last year brought in more like the, uh, the indoor football run concepts with shorts and it worked really well. We haven't seen that since, Credit, I think you have a different setup in Orlando, and I don't see as much of Smith running those concepts as often in West Texas. I think he does have some of it, but he runs more traditional arena run game and then more run, more kind of plays the game, I guess, in terms of scenarios like an indoor team, if that makes any sense. That's how I viewed it. But another, I said, fascinating piece, because like I said, I, I imagine that could be something I would definitely add to my repertoire mm-hmm. if I was a OC. I'd be like, yeah, I'm. I'm totally seeing how this would work in practice. Well, you for as much as we question Tate Smith in this game, you have to look on the other side of the ball and you have to give credit to the defense, excuse me, speak English defense of Carolina. Oh yeah. Uh, Two guys I want to mention had hell of a games. One guy had uh, six, uh, six tackles and that's Kieran Jones who just went out off on the game. Also the vets, themselves, Kenny Veal and Nick Green got big time interceptions. 
Carolina's defense, again, I don't know, it's like how Millie Henry does over in uh, West Texas. They just play very well in West Texas. I, again, is it the air? Is it the arena? Is it just West Texas? I don't know. Um, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Carolina's defense, again, for the second consecutive time in West Texas, slow down that offense. Yet the first time, West Texas scored 59, but you also had 86. So your offense was cooking to a couple weeks ago. But when you have a quarterback that's inexperienced in the NAL game and Shaw coming in, you want your veterans to really go out there and perform. And when you have veterans like Veal and Green out there doing their thing, that gives guys like Zach Brown a chance to sack the quarterback. That gives the guys like a Nyquan Murray who does play some DB sometimes or a Miles Kelly. They had a chance in this game. I, there was, I forgot what part of the game. It was towards the end of the game. The game was clearly already decided, and it was – like an eight minute period where two def- the Carolina's defense got two stops, but Carolina, you know, had a turnover, but you could tell mm-hmm. what West Texas was trying to do and they couldn't do it because Carolina's defense was not allowing it. And that was the whole entire night. And even though the stuff that Tate Smith wasn't trying, was trying to do, you have to give credit to coach Fuller and that coaching or coaching uh, group in Carolina, and the vets on that Carolina's defense. how They they knew this could have been kind of a trap game going into San Antonio week. And they took care of business. They got the win. Now they're considered one of the hotter teams in the league. Their offense is doing very well, very explosive offense. And we've seen in the past with teams like Carolina, they get hot this time of the year. Does it run out? Or do they go all the way and complete the season? on a hot streak. And for West Texas, this loss does officially eliminate them from the playoffs. But one thing about teams that have been officially eliminated by the playoffs in the next couple of games, they're usually teams you don't want to play because they can ruin playoff seating for certain teams. And the next two teams on their schedule are the Jacksonville Sharks and the Orlando Predators. So it's going to be very intriguing how they finish the season. But again, in West Texas, Carolina wins 66 to 35 in Odessa. Uh, they complete the season sweep, four game sweep, which is very hard to do uh, against West uh, against any team. And now Carolina gets to head back home to Greensboro for military appreciation night against the San Antonio Gunslingers, which will be a crucial, crucial game that determining seedings, home field advantage, and so on and so forth for the four teams who will qualify for the NAL playoffs. First of two matchups in a row between those two as well. So, uh, you know, you could see this as either one or two, one team solidifies their stance. Uh, mm-hmm. They could split, make things a little interesting. Uh, and I guess, or really, I guess gunslingers really benefit from the split more often than the Cobras. If the Cobras were asleep, sweep, that's where things get kind of wacky because at that point, they also own the season series and would draw within a tie record-wise of the Gunslingers, at least in terms of the loss column. I know that the game totals are a little off mm-hmm. because of the 10-11, to 11, but would make things fascinating from the win, win percentage perspective. That is a one that we will absolutely break down 
in much more fuller detail because of its implications. And we'll talk about those implications for home home advantage or at least home game clinches a little bit later. Right now, though, one final game, the game you were at, we'll, we'll dive into now in a little more detail. Obviously, we gave you plenty, Jim here gave you plenty of aesthetic on the in-game experience and some of the aspects of that contest as we'll dive deep into Sharks at Preds. Here, here's my thing when I was watching all this tape. Um, great start for Orlando. It's where, at least I thought they got out right, got out right in terms of the beginning. I just put a lot of this in terms of how the Sharks made this a quick, call it a quick blowout feeling, if you will. I put a lot of good defense on on their plate as to reasons why this became such an out of, such an out of hand contest at Amway so quickly. No one can predict that you tip up two straight drives, a tip ball pass interception mm -hmm. to go for a, basically a 14 point swing. No one predicts that. That was great plays by the defense by defensive line. Shakai Holiness, excellent job himself. Uh, was a terror all night, whether getting his hands up, getting by back in the backfield as expected. Um, and then, of course, uh, Demorian Terry, good God, scary Terry himself, pick six, his own touchdowns, very much I feel like the Iron Man of the week in terms of uh, his contributions in this one. Um, absolutely dominated. And you know what? I got can't knock the Preds for switching up to Cato second half to get a little bit of juice. But as much as I look at Southwick's tape, I really did put just a lot of good defense at the plate. Like I didn't think of this as QB errors. There was that pick six, which I'll admit was a little, you know, great read by the defender, a route that probably shouldn't have been thrown there. Mm -hmm. But other than that, the other two interceptions, there was just good football. Like it was good athletic plays. I can't even knock him for those, those in particular. Cause otherwise, once you saw like normal drives, they were able to move the ball. They just got in their own way and had great defensive plays that got in their own way. Like that's the only pick right there. The one that's on air mm -hmm. from Terry. That's the only one I knocked Danny Southwick for this entire contest, because that was a great break on the ball and didn't see a defender get there. Terry breaks and gets a pick six. Um, I think with that, I think with the fumble on the end zone, you saw price also later when the first half just adds on to the compounding turnovers. Just couldn't get out of their own way. It was not the Preds' night. It was a great defensive effort by the Sharks. And, I mean, in terms of or arena defensive performances, it's one of the better ones I've seen uh, this year, if not in the last two years, just because defense really did dictate what the offense could do. Offense, as expected, you're, if you can score every drive like the Sharks do and you have a MVP candidate, if not MVP QB in Sam Castronova, anything's given and anything's possible. So... Uh, yeah, my defense solidified and dig dictated how this contest went. And I mean, good defense, like just good quality plays, good quality athleticism. That's how I take it. I, 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 that's, uh, I don't have anything else to say. Like I said, Preds, what do you do at that point? There's yeah. so, you, what do you do? I would be throwing my hands up. Like you get a second straight pick off a tip. I'm just like, it's not my night. Obviously I got some, I got some voodoo going on in this arena right now. Not from New Orleans, by the way. They don't exist right now. <laughs> you know how good Tamori and Terry was? I mean, I probably didn't even describe it well enough, but, I mean, at the very least, I have to say Iron Man of the Week. Just he, that he, alone. He was so good. Even the official NAL stats made him God mode-like. 
The NAL stats have him having six receptions for 7,106 <laughs> yards. Oh, no. And three touchdowns. That's godlike right there for Tamori and Terry. That's freaking Atlas carrying the Sharks. <laughs> is, yeah. Uh, but actually, he had 106 yards receiving, three touchdowns. And when you look at a team that is actually, again, like we said, a couple – this is not the only time that Jackson was put a complete game together and has impressed statistically. When you have a quarterback that's 21 for 29, 300 yards and seven touchdowns and zero picks, again, that just tells you that Sam is showing that he's right now, in my honest opinion, a clear-cut front-runner MVP. A couple weeks ago, you might have said like Arvell was in that, in that conversation or someone like Malik Henry was catching up. But when you have receivers like Cam Solomon with 133 yards receiving with three touchdowns and our boy Devin Wilson, three receptions, 65 yards and a touchdown. He is three away from the big triple digits for receiving touchdowns in his career. Jacksonville did something that you look at Orlando go that team two weeks ago and last week, where did that Orlando team go? Early in that first quarter, Orlando got that quick four and out, got the ball, scored. Then Jacksonville got the ball, kind of, you know, was stumbling. And there was a big third and like third and eight or fourth and eight, I think. They got that first down. Then Tamori and Terry had a corner route that uh, he got by Dwayne Hollis. And Jacksonville took the advantage. And from that point on, you had a David Gilbert tipped interception. You had a Shakai Holiness tipped interception. 14 points off of that turnover right there. Then you had a Tamori and Terry pitch six. That's 21 points off of that turnover. Then you had a four and out followed by a Cam Solomon touchdown. That's 28 points. It was over. This game was over at halftime. When you have a performance like Jacksonville did, and usually you will have a team that comes out in the second half, but like you know, they're going to slump and they're going to, you know, scale it back some. They did. They, they took the foot off their pedal a little bit. But then you had guys like Devin Wilson start showing out in the second half. And Sam was just throwing deep passes to wide open receivers. Like there's receivers that weren't 20 yards from the dude. And that's pretty you know, honestly shocking in the arena game because it's only a 50-yard field. Like how can you have that much separation? And Jacksonville went there. For main goal, honestly, right now, they're playing like they think they're the best team in the NL. And by that performance on Saturday, they clearly showed it on the scoreboard that they're, they are the best team in the NL. Well, it certainly feels like it. I mean, I, we don't, aren't even, I mean, what, how do you slow them down? Like uh, that, that's, I think your greatest question right now is you have a QB that, you know, is following up what. I thought was a borderline at very least an offensive player of the year designation. He missed out on last year and could have been a, I thought was one of the MVP candidates last season to going to, you know what? I, I left a sit. I was let go of a situation came into Jacksonville and now I am looking like I am the definitive top player right now. Nothing can touch me at this time. Along with the fact that you have a receiving core that, has slowly added on talents that either have been with the Sharks and have gotten better over their tenure or of guys that have just come in in re, have come in and have, haven't had as much experience, but they have fit in and fit in the system well in their short streak. We, yeah. have, we even, I mean, Devin Wilson, I barely, we haven't even talked to him because just there's other talents on here 
that are ahead and making that much impact to where it's like, you know, it's a pretty crowded room and in a good way. This is like the best way possible. Defensively, you either have a front three or four that gets pressure almost every other play, or you have DBs that are playing pretty solid man coverage or at least coverage concepts to where they're making it hard for receivers to get open, you know? And that's exactly what's going on. And like I said, I think a lot of this, this time I give a lot of credit, a lot, a little bit more so to the defense because those turnovers, whether it's the fumble at the goal line, whether it's both those picks that just made the game completely out of hand. If you're playing Jacksonville, you know, I don't know if there's a defense good enough in the NAL that can slow them down to where it's a grind. Maybe the best one I've seen so far this season with this iteration is probably Carolina at this time, if that, if that makes any sense. Cause we're thinking recent matchups, Carolina was within a score. Most of that, their contest a few weeks ago. So that's the best one I can compare to, but even then you have to keep up with them and you have to find a way to either get the ball first or find yeah. a way where the possession goes your way. I mean, that's how Orlando won in their one in their victory against them earlier this year with a, with a different orientation of a roster mm-hmm. at that time, this was before they got, all these all-stars from the Albany releases that came over and they basically got them through essentially just great pass, great route running and great passes that were in this time. No mistake. Free football means you're put behind the eight ball, which means good luck to probably not going to have a chance to come back mm-hmm. because there's, they play too clean. Gibson's got them playing way too. I would say, not formulaic, not militaristic, basically way too sharp at this time frame this is not this is not a team that relies solely on talent and just slacks on the fundamentals everything's lining up right now they look they are to me the best team in this league i double down on that with you um i don't have an argument for anyone else i think the gunslingers were the other option but they have some questions i want to see resolved as the season ends and carolina i think you can say as played close um, they are definitely a dark horse to be one of those candidates that I would see eat in the championship, but you know, we'll find out soon enough. I think these next two weeks will be a big teller on how we feel mm-hmm. about them, but it's Jacksonville. If you're picking a de facto leader right now, it is Jacksonville. The sharks are back fully. And, and uh, I know we've said that a few times this year, but it just kind of reiterates that coming off of a game going in with a lot of yeah. stakes and a predators crew that's riding off of a high from two weeks straight of good performances. And if you're looking, if you're watching me and I'm smiling, it's not, I'm not, I'm not joking. Like Zach, I'm looking at, cause I know how stats are. Apparently Jackson's defense was so good that Anthony Johnson, the, the Jack linebacker sometimes had 25 sacks on Saturday Whoopsies. too. So <laughs> um, that's how dominant apparently the stats are. I'm just smiling, but it meant be two sacks. Jacksonville, from my calculation, got seven sacks on defense. And two guys who really don't get a lot of, you know, glamour and like from this defense is a savvy vet who's been around the NAL in the arena game. And Eric McIntosh, E-Mac, got himself a pick in the end zone. And also a rookie, Harrison Poole, uh, who has been on and off the roster throughout the year, finally got a lot of playing time. And he got a test to go up against a savvy veteran most most of the game. And especially on deep on being defense against CJ Williams. And sometimes he was up against Darius Prince and he held his own. He had four uh, defensive uh, uh, past uh, breakups. So there are guys on this Jacksonville's defense this, this, this time around 
that are not being – they're not the big names of the defense, but they're making plays. And one thing we've said before, not just this game and previous games and all season, especially when Jackson plays other opponents, is you do – if you turn the football over against a Jason Gibson team, he's not going to give the ball right back to you. He's going to give it to you after you scored nine points. And in this case, it was 28. I think they went on a 28 point, uh, a 28 unanswered point uh, streak. And if you do that mm-hmm. at the arena game, it's hard because I went back in the stats and, uh, and actually sends messages to a couple of our colleagues to see if this stat was correct. Still haven't got it, but it's pretty dang near. Alan, every game that's had. 25 points or more deficit, there's only been two comebacks. Two comebacks. And both those comebacks, they were not completed. The other teams, the, the team that had that deficit found out and won the game. That happened recently this year with San Antonio. But the the largest comeback from behind victory was 19 points. And that was in the 2017 playoffs between Columbus and Lehigh Valley, where Columbus came back and won that playoff game. So, Three possessions, three and a half possessions, almost a four-possession lead in the arena game is almost game over. Or based on the stats, it is game over. There hasn't been no miraculous comeback is going to happen. Now, when you look at Jacksonville's performance, they did most of their stuff in the first half. They ended this game early. Orlando made a change, Brian and Cato. And Rakeem Cato made some good plays. His mobility kept them alive in a lot of the game, a lot of these drives alive, and he made some good, a couple of good throws, and like, yeah, that's a Cato throw, scrambling, scrambling, throwing to the back of the end zone, guy wise open. But there's a couple of guys I want to talk about in Orlando that watching them live, I really, like, it makes me build more respect for the dudes, for the play, how their playing style is. Nick Hag is just a guy who just runs around like crazy. And just constantly, he is. That's he's. He just runs around like crazy. Hits hits people. He smiles. He talks trash. He hits again, and he goes back. The guy has a never-ending motor. His his motor in the fourth quarter was the same that it was in the first play of the game. Imagine having an angry Bostonian man get <laughs> you yeah. on the turf and trash talk you. <laughs> and it was just crazy. But not how- just an angry Bostonian man. An angry, very talented linebacker. <laughs> yeah, that guy was like, man. He has a motor, even though he, the score wasn't not going in their favor, he didn't quit. And that's what tells me about his character as a player. And that tells me what uh, Hurricane Walls is doing for that organization in Orlando, the culture they're trying to build. And then when you look at the overall stats of the team, besides when you look at Darius Prince and his performance, again, he had like 85 yards, four touchdowns, and he's again another returner. He had six kickoff returns for 122 yards. That's good, but the six kickoff returns is the one that's the big the question mark. Uh, you got like, eh, that's too many kickoff returns. If you're getting to kickoff returns, it means you're giving up six points. You're getting up scoring possessions. Right. But a night, a guy who didn't have a big night was Freddie Booth Floyd. I expected him to have a big night, and that gives credit to guys like David Gilbert, uh, Justin Renfro. Uh, I forgot who the other guy that would have to go up against them. Um, I should not. Gibby, uh, I think uh, Herlong, I think his name is, or Harlan. Harlan was the one Mm -hmm. that was in there. Jacksonville mixed up to slow down their front. Uh, Cissé was impactful early, 
And as his game progressed, he became un- impactful. It does kind of help when you have a quarterback like Sam Castronova who can scramble and keep plays alive. And again, it's, the secondary for Orlando was really hurting them in the second half and late in the second quarter. It wasn't giving their secondary a chance to make plays and get their front four to actually read the plays and you know make big plays. Yeah, not really big plays, but stop stop Sam because we've known Castronova this year. We've seen him when he played in Albany. You you slow down can't Sam. You got to slow down one other guy on the team that it was usually Darius Prince in Albany. In Jacksonville, you slow down Cam. You, you slow down Sam. You got to slow down Cam. Oh. What does Jacksonville have that Albany did not have? A Tamorian Terry and a Devin Wilson. They hit, Jacksonville has three receivers that are uh, wide receiver one, wide receiver one, wide receiver one. Like these are guys who can be wide receiver ones for any team in the league. And Sam makes that possible. And what usually comes from that is you look at the defensive side of the ball of Orlando Brandon Fuentes, Dwayne Hollis. Jenkins, and they had an off night. The first couple possessions, you it looked like it was going to be a good match, but no matter what side you you stand on this, the scuffle in the early in the first quarter between Jacksonville, where you saw players pushing each other and fisticuffs and people getting ejected, I was with a couple of shark fans and we were talking about this and we really thought this is what we fans were thinking in the arena. We had this feeling in the early in the game that we were going to lose that game. Jackson did not look like they had their minds, right? That scuffle got them in check. And after that scuffle, Jackson then dominated the rest of the game. And I was wondering, because we discussed this, me and the couple of people I was with, if that didn't happen, what type of game would this be? Again, Jacksonville is the better team right now. The record shows it. And Orlando's on a recently hot streak. But we've said multiple times in rivalry games, you throw the record books out. Something happens that really makes this game one-sided or intensive fair or something sparks it. I think whatever happened in that scuffle early in the first quarter was a spark Jacksonville needed to go, we got this. And Sam went off, Tamorian went off, Devin went off. Solomon went off. And on the other side of the field, you had Darius Prince. And that's it. Like, who else went off on and off in Orlando? Well, I just, and to me, I think that the Prince was the main guy. Um, CJ, CJ had Williams a couple would, moments. Yeah, I mean, but CJ, I almost expect at this point, given what I've seen in his career with the Preds from last year moving forward, I almost expect him to be that too when given that chance. Caleb Walls, mm-hmm. kind of on-off night for the most part, um, but he's usually been that one. Dwayne Hollis, I think he was a lot more, just my observations, a lot more, I think, bu- busted up from the secondary play because um, it felt like the, the secondary for the Preds got schooled hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, whether it was open field tackles like that one you see on screen here, um, just deep shots, not be not just not able to capitalize is the deal. And I, I think they're going to have to, kind of re- just kind of regroup and say like look guys we got behind the eight ball because of some great athletic plays from turnovers mm-hmm. and we just got we just got put back on our heels we need to just be clean to start see how we can do it now credit you got to go into the into the shark tank which to be fair 
recent records would say the Preds have done all right in the Shark Tank, actually, compared to when the Sharks come to Amway, if you want to be superstitious and all that. But nonetheless, you're going to have to reevaluate, reevaluate and regroup the troops for a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Um, I am curious as to who they choose at QB because of the fact that you did throw Rakeem in. I know that at the time that the game was going on, you're probably thinking, yeah, maybe we switch things up. But to be fair, Rakeem, a little more mobile, uh, a guy that, as when we talked with Coach Walls, very high on Rakeem Cato. Yeah. Um, no offense to Danny, but I think maybe at this point in the year and given Rakeem's successes he had in Fayetteville, maybe that to add an extra explosive element they perhaps switch it up to where Danny is. You have a very good backup, a very veteran guy there that's on your side. And then you have Rakeem start things out next week, maybe mm-hmm. a little more explosive, at least more mobile against some of these some of these pass rushers. Not to say that Danny wasn't holding his own. That line is pretty solid in Orlando. But maybe someone that can maneuver out of the pocket and get out of the way of linemen that might bat up a pass, or maybe he can open up alleys a little bit more than with Southwick, how he stays more of the, I think, the studious uh, pocket passer to where you can open up different angles as you will. So I think some to evaluate. Honestly, I think they start Rakeem given his status. That's just my early predictions. But, you know, they're already locked in for the playoffs, so that could be, mm-hmm. that could be just up in the air as to how they feel they want to end the season. So we'll see. Also, we have to – we can't – not leave this game without talking possibly the catch of the year which oh, yes, yes. I'm, I'm glad the preds by the way i'm glad the preds shared that on twitter because i love the fact i love sharing arena catches man i love sharing arena catches trey long that is a give up your body type of catch that is mm-hmm. like the definition of like an arena football highlights catch like you go on on youtube and you find like highlights from like the 2010s and you see like those diving passes in the stands that's the epitome of it. It was, I agree. Best catch of the season. One of the better ones I've seen in a while. Um, just full give, full send, you know, and credit. You, you got, you hope the fans are ready to go because they always say when you're on the dashboards, you know, Hey, you gotta be attentive, man. Mm-hmm. That football, those players, they fly around. You might get hit by a 170 pound, 200 pound person because they're going for the ball. They don't, they aren't worried about you at that moment. hundred <laughs> percent. That ball is more what they're focused on. You're just part of the cushioning they're landing on. Yeah. So uh, be prepared and be prepared maybe to hide your beer away. <laughs> when I saw that catch, the only thing I was like, hopefully no one was under him because Jabari Gorman popped him. And that's he why he went over the thing. I'm like, hopefully there was no fan there or if the fan, if there was a fan there, they're paying attention. Luckily, it was during it was right in the aisleway, so it, it just had stairs. But that play, it was that happened later in the game, and it really wasn't the determining factor of how the game was going to end. But Trey Long is that type of receiver that that team just got that just needs a couple more practices to get gelling that will make like that type of impact like Kendrick Gings does in San Antonio. Like Orlando has a team around them; they're a good squad. They have weapons. Cato can get in there. Southwick can do a thing or two. It's going to be a chess match again. Again, Orlando has clinched a playoff spot. They have a – actually, they've secured the fourth seed. They can't really get the three. So, for them, it's just we got two more games. 
how do we want to do this? Do we just want to start putting the guys in that we know they're trying to build up for that uh, playoff game against possibly a number one San Antonio team or a number one Jacksonville in the first round? Or do we just want to go like, okay, let's just go full out. Who cares? We're get to six and six, finish season 500. And who cares what happens in the playoffs and risk someone getting hurt. Probably uh, that can be a significant, a significant blow. But I, again, I, I, I had to say something about Trey Long. That was a a, a beautiful I'm, catch. I'm glad you. I'm glad you did because I I would have I would have been a little upset at myself because I did I did actively quote tweet that one um, from the Preds social account. And I was like, yeah, that was that's uh, that's one you show to your friends. And go, yeah, you you want to know what arena football moment is? That's an arena football moment. You you don't get that in outdoor football. You know. Well, you do. Absolute, I you mean, do. you do. You can, but, but it, if it happens. A, the quarterback is way off target, and B, why in the heck is the receiver over there in the first place? Why is he in the grandstand? <laughs> yes, it just moralistically, it you're moralistically a personal foul penalty is thrown because you slam the guy into the bleachers. <laughs> true. Yes. Whereas true. in this iteration, the bleachers are the sidelines, so can't uh, can't throw anything because you have to go out of bounds at mm-hmm. some point. You just true. hope it's in the pads. All the refs are like, just hit the pads. If it's over the pads, they're like. All right, <laughs> that's on you. <laughs> that was your decision to make. True. But speaking of week 15 coming up this week, ladies and gentlemen, the game of the week from Inside the Walls podcast is San Antonio at the Carolina Cobras. 7 p.m. in Greensboro Coliseum. That game will happen simultaneously as the game in Jacksonville where the Orlando Predators travel to Jacksonville in the Shark mm-hmm. Tank, where I will be in the Shark Tank for this weekend's game. And, of course, it's Carolina. We're going to do a little thing. This live to the fans. We usually ask Patreon. We don't know. This is for everyone. Who do you want us to have on the show for Friday, NAL game day? Carolina player. Send them to us now so we can reach out to that player so we can get him on the show. We don't want to reach him out to too late. We got to give him uh, way some good to notice events. Let us know who you want on the show, and we'll get them on. Could get a kicker, could get a quarterback, could get a defensive player. It's up to you guys. There's a couple of players I like to get on the show, but we're going to leave it up to you guys for this week's NAL game day. But speaking also about week 15, we've been teasing it a little bit about what's so big about week 15. Playoff scenarios are finalized. All four teams are in. The field is set. Now the battle for seeding is happening. In week 15, Jacksonville clinches a home playoff game with a win and a Carolina loss. Mm -hmm. Key word there, and a Carolina loss. San Antonio clinches a home playoff game with a win. Carolina has no scenario as of yet in this week. In week 15, Orlando has clinched the four seed. So that is the scenarios for week 15. Why is the top two so important? The top two seeds, the teams that host the playoff game, are 13-2 overall in the NAL playoffs. And no seed under the two seed has ever won the NAL championship. It's either been the mm-hmm. one or the two. So that's how big the top two seeds are in the postseason 
in the National Arena Little League. Warriors, man. We don't we haven't had them yet. Not to say it's impossible, but We've uh, had them for a round, but not the, t- the complete two game. Exactly. You yeah. None, none to finish the deal. It's a little mm-hmm. a little bit harder to do in this sport. Um, but hey, I mean, for the Cobras, here's the thing. You know, if you're James Fuller, you're going into this this week with your squad. You're going. Hey, look. We still have that outside chance of mm-hmm. getting a game back in Greensboro. It has to be this week that we start that process. You take an L this week, you're it's out. You're you're done. You're done. So you're, you're mm-hmm. already too far behind the eight ball. You you got to get. You basically have to get this next two game streak for them is the most cru is one of the most crucial portions of their year right now because if they can draw even in the loss column with San Antonio week 17 is completely up for grabs at that point as to mm-hmm. what their destiny is. San Antonio is look and the company are going, look guys, let's vote. Let's, if we can solidify that home game first, step-by-step basis right now, get a win this week, home game lock, keep winning some games and keep pace with the sharks. Then we'll see how this plays out for home field advantage, but we got to take advantage. We got to take care of business this week so we don't have more distractions moving forward and more uncertainties moving forward because honestly for the gunslingers i think this is a team that really could use that lock so they can focus on hey let's get this let's get this doubly right Mm -hmm. for when we have that shot at the championship that two game stretch to get our nal our nal trophy let's make sure that we lock this game down especially so that we can then more tinker and fine tune for the end of the regular season if we want or we go and we adjust our priorities to where we can definitively look at that home field advantage and try and reclaim it again so right. a lot of last stakes on the line are going down in greensboro um absolutely the game to watch this week in terms of you know now we're in the nitty-gritty now we're in the the nail-biting type of uh season in terms of how this will all play out you know, even with the playoff teams all locked in, you're absolutely right. Home field advantage, that statistic of 13 and two, it lingers heavy. You don't want to be that guy going to visit folks on the road, mm-hmm. taking a bus trip or an airplane flight out to a venue. You want to be that dude that goes home, gets to sit back and relax at their apartment or go out with their buddies, have a comfortable week, ready to go for practices, and then you play in front of your home crowd. It's the best feeling in the world mm-hmm. to have some guys, some at least two to 4,000 on average. Well, depending on where you play, but like, you know, Jacksonville 8,000, I guarantee will be at that, at that playoff game. If, if, and when that's played San Antonio, I, without a doubt expect like easily over three K, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Cobras, I can easily expect, I think three K at this point to show up for that playoff, maybe even more because that's also been a fan base that has been slowly gathering more support this season. And has mm-hmm. been doing well under the radar of comparing to like the, say the shark, the, the predators and company. So yeah, you want to have your fan bases with you. You know, it's nice, less stress on the body, less stress on having to be away from your friendly confines of your own place. You're staying at right now. A lot of stuff on the line, a lot of stuff yeah. to play for. Also another interesting step. Yes. 13 to two is a record for the home teams in the NAL. But for the teams that are currently still in the NAL, those teams are eight and zero at home in the postseason. Those two teams are, of course, the Carolina Covers and the Jacksonville Sharks, who yeah. have had deep playoff runs and home playoff games since then. So yes, 
Uh, playoffs are around the corner. We are down to the final weeks of the season for that. And this week, kind of ironic, West Texas on the bye week. So all playoff teams are playing this week. So we will have a, honestly, you can say, week 15, a preview of the first round of the NAL playoffs. Hmm. Intriguing. Maybe. Very intriguing. Um, but for that, it's week 14 was a blast. Trip to Orlando was a blast. Met some good people. Ate some good food. Enjoyed my time there. I ate, had so much a good time. I had a massive migraine on the bus trip back home. <laughs> um, then I got home, relaxed, watched the Carolina game in its full. Saw everything, and it was pretty entertaining. Now, we know who the four teams are. It's the battle of seedings. And for that, to get more up-to-date information on the National Arena League for the push to the playoffs, visit all of our social media at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, soon-to-be threads. We have to find our password for some reason. (laughs) But we'll get on threads. We've been getting people asking to get on threads. And, of course, join MWALS Pod Plus, where you might get a special lengthy episode way before it's supposed to air on regular time. Don't know when, but you might get one. That's the joys of entering our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash four slash inside the walls podcast. And of course, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and threads at mwallspod. Soon enough. Soon enough you'll get that that option. Yeah, we gotta find that password. We'll get that <laughs> we'll get that down. It, it, this is this is on this is a normal thing uh, behind the curtain where it's like uh, we know how to log in, and then we like spend a few days figuring out the passwords. If one of us gets a new device, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, what's the uh, old login again? Uh, look, uh, it's figured. Old- oh, I got it, and then we forget about it. But yeah, you know, we'll get it. We'll- we're getting a system. It's all good. Uh, but yeah, check out check out IWP Plus. You can all or P Plus. You can also search that on Patreon by finding a search tab with the search tab using IWP Plus, and it'll come up instantly for you as well on Patreon to help support the channel. Again, totally voluntary, but mm-hmm. if you want to give a little extra and uh, help support and get some extra content along the way, we'd highly appreciate it. Uh, until next show, this Friday, check us out. Episode 119, NAL Game Day, Week 15 will be upon us. Again, preview of the playoffs, question mark? Maybe mm-hmm. so. Don't be missing out on this week because these are all playoff teams. They're all going to be sizing up each other as the season ends. Going to be tinkering, seeing what works, what doesn't work. It's coming down to the wire. NAL playoffs coming up at the end of the month. You're going to want to tune in to get mm-hmm. everything you need to know, not only on the NAL's YouTube page on YouTube, but also us here at Inside the Walls. For my buddy here, Jim Renier, my co-host, Jim Renier, I am Zach Collins saying so long. And as always, remember one final thing. Tell us, Jim, what do we need to know? Don't be a jack out of the box. Until next time, everybody, catch you this Friday. Stay tuned. Let's go. I got a vision I see in my head, a melody buried deep into my soul. They call us crazy, we cutting the edge, unlocking the future and letting it go. This is a calling that's higher the time we decided our stories are gonna be told. This is what legends are born, we paving the road, a future that favors the foe. Break the rules, break the laws, this is the moment we change it all. Break the rules, break the laws, this is the moment we change it all. Yeah, greatness, yeah, it feels like greatness. Woo! Greatness, yeah, it feels like greatness. Legendary in the making. Reach out and we take it. 
We on the verge and it feels like yeah. greatness. Covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Kyleman and Jim Bernier.